Thank you for that. Um, Greg, I was thinking about the first question, um, and this is a little close to home because recently we did have one of our speakers who was not able to make it and kind of had a pivot. But if I didn't show up today to do the interview and you had to do this on, on your own and, and kind of get through like the talk, what would be like one thing maybe that you would want to share with us to begin, or maybe something you've been thinking about over the last couple of days? Like, I hope John asked me this question, or the Holy Spirit just gave me this. You have like an opening statement that you want to kind of just share with us this morning? Yeah, sure. Thanks, John. Um, uh, first of all, it's great to be here with you guys. I, uh, I've i been uh, with you guys physically probably three or four times over the years. And to have uh, you still meeting and uh, uh, being together and being consistent and actually doing it in the middle part of June as we're kind of working our way into the summer is very encouraging. So, uh you know, thank you guys for encouraging me. And it looked like there were a good number of people in the room and there's uh, folks on the phone as well. So uh, uh, congratulations for just having uh, such a vibrant uh, NCS chapter and, and you know, gathering of, uh, of guys. So uh, it's just so important that we actually have, uh, that we have that in our lives. I've had the same, th I've met with the same three CEOs, uh, Christian CEOs, uh, we like to say weekly, but honestly, it's probably 40 times a year because travel and all those things. Uh, but uh, I've I've done that for now 17 years, and that's really been the core foundational thing in my life. So I think the fact, I just encourage you that are relatively new to the gathering uh, at NCS uh, uh, in Bergen in New Jersey to uh, just stay with it. It's uh, It's definitely worth it. I think we all need that in our lives. Uh, John, to your question, um, I, I've reflected a lot, actually, the last few weeks, um, uh, basically with Tim's passing, Tim Keller's passing. Um, to, you know, many of us knew Tim well. I was very close to Tim. He was uh, a dear friend. He actually called me maybe almost 20 years ago, just shy of 20 years ago. And I'd never met him. I'd read all his books, but he said, hey, can you come do lunch with me? And um, and I said, uh, yeah, sure. You know, they'd be an honor. I'm mean, next to New York. You know, I called him and, uh, I went in and had lunch with him in his office, which was about the size of a closet at the time. You know, it was basically stacked with books and two chairs. I mean, you know, not, not, you know, not, not, not a lot of room, but, uh, we had a sandwich in there and we had this great conversation for about two hours. And, uh, I finally asked him, uh, I said, Tim, it's so nice of you to call and ask me to lunch. He's, I said, why did you ask me? And he said, well, Greg, I've got elders and stuff at Redeemer, but I need somebody I can talk to as I kind of plot my own ministry through life. Uh, when do I exit Redeemer? How do I handle the church? How do I, uh, you know, how do I really execute on what became city to city? Uh, but, you know, it's church planning in, in, uh, in the world, but primi primarily in New York City, which is where his heart was. Uh, and uh, and so um, uh, we spent a lot of time together over, uh, did a lot of interviews like this together over, uh, 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 you know, 20, almost 20 years. And he was a dear friend to NCS. And uh, uh, so uh, Chip Roper, who some of you know, runs a New York chapter, called me and he said, hey, Greg, I want to do a four-part series on faith at work. And it reminded me of um, uh, a time when uh, Tim and I talked 
And uh, I was asked to do the commencement speech at Asbury University, where my son was going to school. It was my youngest son. It's a Methodist school. And so there was a seminary there. And I, I wanted to do this con commencement talk, but I didn't want to offend any of the seminarians or the professors. I was worried, you know, as a lay guy, I'd probably screw that up. And um, and it was also an under, undergrad university. And my son, uh, my youngest son is not much of a student. So graduating to college was something like raising from the dead for him. You know, I mean, we, we considered that a miracle, the equivalent of raising from the dead when he got his college diploma in four years. So um, uh, we uh, <laughs> so I actually sent the talk I was going to do to Tim and I said, hey, Tim, take a look at this and see what you think. Give me some suggestions. He's a pretty good guy to bounce a speech like that off of. And um, he said, Greg, he said, you know, this talk is uh, is really good. I mean, it's a good speech, but I think you stole it from my book, Every Good Endeavor. And um, and I said, you know, I, I read that book about 15 years ago, so it's possible I stole some of it from there. You haven't read it in 15 years, but uh, but you stole everything from C.S. Lewis, who stole it, you know. <laughs> going back all the way to all the all the way to King Solomon, who said there's nothing new under the sun. So if you want, I'll give you attribution the first time. But after that, it's mine. So we we got a good laugh out of that. But but uh, but I really missed him. But uh, the talk was uh, about four truths that uh, God tells us about faith at work and uh, uh, and, uh, you know, that come out of the Bible and uh I thought, you know, you know, it's been on my mind, uh, and I spoke last Friday to uh, the top 230 conservative law students in the country in a program called Blackstone Fellows with Alliance for Defending Freedom. So I, I took them through the same thing, and I'll just go through those steps pretty quickly, but I think they're important to anchor us, particularly as we go into the summer. Um, you know, the first one is work is important to God. Uh, you know, in Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And I think the person, and I'll go quickly, but I think the person that expresses that uh, best was Dorothy Sayers. Uh, Dorothy was a theologian from the late 1800s. She was one of the first to graduate from Oxford. Uh, she was a playwright as well. And she says about work, Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of a worker's facilities, the thing in which one finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which one offers himself to God. And that actually, uh, the medium, work is the medium in which one we offer ourselves to God. That really anchors me, you know, fundamentally. I like to read that over and over again to remind myself, you know, why you know, why I'm here, why we're doing what we're doing. And then uh, the Bible echoes that again in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, where it says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. So I think that's just a good anchor point, uh, you know, for me and and for us, you know, as I, I've been just thinking about that as I think about Tim, uh, you know, and all he did. And then the, the the second truth of the four is that God's given us each a platform in this world. And most of us are not called to be church leaders. Some of us are. Uh, most of us are, are uh, called to be in the marketplace. And if you look at who Jesus picked his disciples, they were all from the marketplace. They were no none of the religious leaders of the time. In fact, four of them were fishermen. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I'm talking in, in Texas, I like to tell uh, tell everybody they were the oil and gas guys 
this at biblical times. It was drop a line and pray, basically. Um, and uh, very similar to what they do in oil and gas. And uh, so we all, we've all, we all have a platform uh, that God's given us to execute on. So work's important to God. We all have a platform. The third thing is, as Christians in the marketplace, and you guys have all experienced this, uh, it's a, it's a, a group that's like seasoned here. Uh, certainly uh, looking out across the crowd, I saw a lot of seasoning in everybody's hairlines and uh, <laughs> your hair. Um, but but, but uh, God knows as Christians in the marketplace, all of our games are away games, right? We don't have home games. You, you know, a home game would be, you know, it, we all watch football, uh, uh, whether it's pro or college. If your team's at home when the offense is on the field, it's really quiet. So they can hear the signals. Obviously, when the opposing team's offense is on the field, you make all kinds of racket to start trying to disrupt things. Uh, all of our games are away games uh, uh, as Christians in the in the world. And uh, we should just know that as we kind of execute our platform. Uh, and uh, fortunately, God gave us, um, you know, some scripture to deal with that. He told us uh, in Matthew that we're sheep among wolves and that we should uh, be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as doves. So shrewd as a serpent and innocent as does, we should be wise, wise to it. And he even told us in Hebrews that we could generate a home crowd uh, since we're surrounded by a huge uh, crowd of witnesses to the faith of life like we are in this room today. So uh, that's what makes uh, that's what makes uh, New Canaan such an important thing and gathering and being with other men. Uh, so important. And so few guys do it. The fact that you guys are is is just an encouragement to me. So it works important to God. God's given us each a platform in the world. He knows as Christians, all our games are away games. And then the final thing is uh, he's ca called us to be dangerous men and women for him. Uh, we are dangerous. You guys all have a lot of influence in your communities, in your families, in your organizations that you work with, whether it's for profit or not for profit. And we get to choice, each of us, whether we're going to be dangerous for God or dangerous against God. And thank goodness for you guys in this room that are being dangerous for God. So uh, so uh, uh, th those were the those were kind of the four truths I pulled out of the Bible, uh, uh, you know, uh, endorsed by Tim Keller himself, uh, uh, you know, as sort of how we think about work. And so, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have, you know, as I thought about this meeting today. Uh, just the thing that's kind of been going through my mind the last three or four weeks really has been uh, have been all the things I pulled out and, and uh, all the learnings I pulled out of my time, uh, both reading Tim's books, listening to his sermons, and, and also just talking to him. So uh, we were all blessed to actually be able to uh, have him be a part of NCS. He served on the NCS board for a while, so I, I'm just grateful for his life. Thanks, Greg, and, and thanks for you know reminding us about Tim and the sharing the wisdom there. You, know, you brought up work with, uh, in your points there, and we talked about it. We all have this platform, and in conversations around people's life at NCS and our churches, maybe we get uh, you know, meet with someone in a neighborhood, in every group. Uh, it always seems like the balance of you know, work and family comes up. Uh, no one ever has talked to me about the balance of work and work. And it's one thing to work on that balance, and it's always like, hey. I'm really struggling with work and family. And you mentioned in your video um, about working, you know, family and, and working. You said that you kind of got away from that tough choice of family and work, and you looked at a fully integrated platform. And you used the term fully integrated. 
Is there an example of it? Maybe you can start with an example that maybe you had that was that turning point where you had that struggle between between work and, and family, you know, with your upwardly mobile career, and then still wanting to manage, you know, your family and realizing the importance of that. It was there a time in your life where you could give us an example of where you really had a challenge, and I mean, that was the moment where you, you found this fully integrated uh, concept. Oh, yeah. Now, John, that, that's an easy one. So uh, thank God for my wife, Rhonda. Um, she really, truly raised our kids. I, I was, uh, you know, from a very young age, I became president at Continental Airlines at 32, and I was a Bain partner before that. Uh, and the way I was raised, I was just raised, you know, working all the time. And so when I was at work, um, you know, occasionally I'd feel bad about not being with my family, but I'd be honest and say, you know, I was pretty satisfied, you know, with work and Rhonda was great. Um, and then when I was at home, I would think about work about three quarters of the time. So that's kind of really, you know, probably, you know, I, again, I, I never, everybody's got a different story. Mine wasn't one of like, uh, uh, cheating on my wife or getting involved with drugs or alcohol or anything like that. But it was one of, you know, really being probably addicted to work. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were still doing a lot of stuff in the community and the church. You know, we started a Christian school. I was in Awanas every Sunday night with my kids. So outwardly, you'd look at that and say, you know, that looks pretty good, right? But inwardly, I knew that wasn't the right answer. So when I got to about 45, uh, which is I'm 61, so that we're now 16 years in the rearview mirror, I said, I got to find a way to integrate these two things better. And uh, just a couple su very practical suggestions uh, that I did. I, you know, I pulled out and wrote a one page plan. I, uh, I update it every year, but I carry one for my business and then one for my life. There's my one page life plan with me and, and look at it every day. And, you know, the first thing on there, I said, uh, I really want to have a deep walk with God. I want to become one of his intimates. A.W. Tozer has a statement, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. And so I thought, what are the four or five things I have to do to do that, you know, as an example? And uh, uh, obviously be in the word. I changed what I was reading every day uh, to, uh, that's when I started really reading a lot of Tim Keller's books and other theologians books, uh, obviously the Bible, memorizing scripture. And then I got in this small group with these CEOs who were kind of feeling the same thing. Uh, and that really changed my life. So I think being in community, but a couple practical things you can do to integrate uh, work and, uh, and life. You know, one of the things uh, I did was uh, as part of that plan was I knew about 600 CEOs and board members of boards that I was on and other boards. Uh, so 600 folks. And uh, so every Christmas, we'd pick out a book, essentially, that had was a secular book people would actually read, but had a faith message somewhere in it. Um, same kind of different as me is a great one. There, there's a bunch of them I could walk through. But uh, I sent that, those books out to those 600 people, and we just prayed over those books. I call it chicken evangelism. So we said, God, if you want to do something with this, it's all yours. And we just mail them out with a Christmas card, basically a Christmas family update. And, um, we, uh, and then we started doing it electronically, and you could actually track who was opening the books, <laughs> which is a little freaky. But, um, but about half of them would get read, and of that half, about half of the time, uh, people would reach out to me, men would, and they'd say, hey, I'd really like to have uh, 
breakfast or lunch or dinner, you know, I've got something going on in my life. And it might be like a marriage issue, or it might be a issue with a kid or an issue at work or whatever was happening in their life. So as I traveled around, and this is something we can all do at whatever level you want, um, uh, I just would actually set up those meetings uh, in my normal travels. So all over the world, you know, from the Middle East to the U.S. to Latin America to Europe, I would have about 150 and still do about 150 meetings a year with men that just want to share what's going on in their life, many of which are not Christian men, but, you know, they see something in the faith. Uh, and and um, uh, several folks have come to Christ through those those times. Right. But it's it's kind of what I call chicken evangelism. It's pretty easy for us to send out a book and leave the rest to God. Uh, but that's just one example of uh, of what, uh, you know, what you can do if you uh, if you sort of think about how, how do I integrate my work in my life? So I was traveling anyway. I was going to have to eat anyway. Uh, just integrating those meetings into uh, into that was, uh, you know, a pretty meaningful thing uh, that I did and, and still do. And we started doing a lot of Ronnie and I started doing a lot of couples mentoring uh, as a result of that, which we still do today. We. We take seven younger couples to be our house in Beaver Creek, and we do a marriage summit uh, every Labor Day weekend uh, with Britt and Julia Harris. Some of you know Britt. Uh, I just talked to Britt yesterday. So, uh, so anyway, that that's that. Those are a couple of examples of uh, of uh, you know things that uh, things that uh, you, you can do to sort of integrate your work in your life. Uh, but I just got very intentional about doing that. Oh, thank you. Hey guys, why don't we take a question from uh, from our group and see what Greg can do with that? Paul, Greg, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate the uh, the council and, and what you've done over the years. And I just wanted to, I guess, expand out a little bit on what you discussed with regards to dangerous men uh, yeah. and and how we need to be dangerous for God. Um, okay, it sounds good. It's a it, it's it's a good concept, but uh, how do we execute on that uh, in a way that makes sense? I, and when I hear that, I envision Gideon's army. I envision, you know, a focused group. Um, and NCS is is well situated for that. On May 25th, I had a conversation with Mason Rutledge and actually talked about that topic and said, what do we do? You know, it's one thing to evangelize and to be together on the positive side, but look at it as a coin where there's two sides. The other yeah. one, the other side, we need to be dangerous. We need to actually be offensive and do things because we're at war with Satan. And Satan is real, is on earth right now doing things. All you have to do is read the newspaper. You see it. It's out there. So why not take advantage of NCS um, and actually do something, make us dangerous, and you seem to be well situated to uh, assist in that regard because you you had such success in the business world. So I just wanted to put you on the spot a little bit and and say, well, what can we do specifically, or you know, what what are your thoughts on the subject? Um, because just to give you insight, Mason Rutherford completely agreed with the the tenor and the conversation, but he said it's difficult since there's going to be a lot of pushback. And, you know, given where we are right now, he was thinking in, in somewhat political terms, but let's not talk in political terms, let's talk in business terms. What do you think we can and should be doing? 
Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and and thanks for asking. And all I can do is kind of share a little bit about what I've done. So I think of groups like NCS or like my small group. I mean, you can think of that like an energy group if you want, you know, to use an NCS term. Um, um, uh, I think of that as the place where I get recharged, right? Where I get challenged, where I get held accountable, where I get recharged uh, to be kind of in the world. And uh, um, what I've tried to do in my career all through it, but particularly the last 15 or 20 years is um, uh, is be very, very intentional about not hiding my Christian faith at work and um, and actually letting it letting it play out. Now, kind of how do you do that? Uh, I am the lead director at, on Home Depot's board, so I chair that board. Um, and uh, uh, and, you know, we are constantly battered by social issues. Right. I mean, you see every social issue that runs through uh the world and uh uh you know whether you know you go back to the george floyd time and and that whether you go back to uh uh you know the uh abortion ruling whether you go to the transgender stuff that's going through now it seems like every three weeks there's another issue right that comes up that batters companies that batters people you know in the workplace you're in uh, I also chair the Baylor College of Medicine board, and so uh, which is kind of an academic institution, or the same thing. So, you know, in those situations, what I try and do is actually keep the place neutral for, um, you know, for for people. Uh, so instead of reacting to the every three week social issue that comes through at Depot, I say, you know, we're there to sell hammers, basically, right? We want to sell, you know, we want to serve everybody. So. You know, for example, if you go in and see the orange apron, orange blooded associates at Home Depot, the only thing you'll see on their apron is a years of service and then any service awards they've won. You're not going to see any political messages on their apron. We've gone to court to keep the political messages off of their or the social issues off of their apron. So I think it, we can actually have a our faith can actually play out pretty effectively in the marketplace we don't have to slap people around with it. If we just try and think about how do we live our life, you know, that like Christ would uh, want us to uh, and, you know, use those opportunities certainly that open up and they, they do open up uh, to, uh, to, uh, you know, share your faith with people, but as much as anything, just be a consistent, thoughtful presence uh, for, uh, for good, essentially, uh, and for uh, safety and for consideration and kindness to people, uh, that gets noticed uh, over time very, very quickly. Because as you said, so much of the world is not that way. It gets very polarized. So um, the thing, and I'll go back to Tim, just because he's been on my mind lately. The thing I appreciated about Tim Keller is he actually had very, very... Uh, thoughtful and strong. I mean, you guys know him, you've read his material, he had very thoughtful and strong uh, Christian beliefs and, uh, you know, is walk the walk completely. You could not tell to this day whether Tim was a Republican or a Democrat. There's absolutely no way to tell. And, uh, but he kind of lived his life above all that uh, while he was in the world, you know, living with it. So, you know, I think we've got some good examples out there of kind of how to do that. And uh, 
I guess what I'd encourage each of us to do is um, it's uh, as we gather as Christian guys, that should be a time when we can share with each other, give each other ideas uh, and uh, and get recharged, actually, to go live in that world. That's pretty rough and uh, rough and tumble. And that that's what makes this group, you know, and you guys have been so consistent over so many years. Uh, so important uh, in terms of uh, just encouragement, I think. But uh, but that's how, you know, that's kind of how I approach it. I, I just try and uh, I have my one page life plan. I got my plan for my business and I try and read that several times a week and carry it with me just to keep me centered on, you know, what am I really here for? Work is the medium in which we worship God. So, you know, is that what we're doing? And uh, some of us, you know, as we get a little later in life, uh, our work takes different forms. It might be with our grandkids and what we're doing with them. It might be with our churches or our nonprofits. Um, uh, you know, life has different phases. But uh, regardless of what that phase is, from the time you know we're born to uh, the time we die, we really can uh, we really can try and be consistent in that service to God. You uh, mentioned uh, you had those five steps. Uh, the vast because in work is called work. The vast majority of people are going to be baggage handlers, janitors, whatever you want. Yep. How do your five steps relate to people who are not what the world would call upwardsly motivated? Yeah, it's a great question. I I I honestly think uh, the happiest people I know, and I know a lot of baggage handlers and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, gate agents and pilots and flight attendants. And uh, I certainly know a lot of orange-blooded associates at Home Depot. We have 500,000 of them. Um, and I'm in the stores all the time. Um, they are some of the happiest people I know. I think, honestly, there's very little correlation between happiness and, uh, and you know, uh, you know, position you're in. I've seen more guys that are CEOs or where their identity becomes their job, you know, their identity is not in Christ, it becomes their occupation. And once they lose that, uh, you know, those are some of the very toughest times. In fact, uh, with many of uh, folks I know like that, uh, several times I've sort of said, as I know they're exiting their, their careers or their positions, or maybe it happens abruptly, hey, let's actually go on vacation and, you know, spend some time together just, just to try and help recenter that but um most of the world doesn't have that problem like if you know we do a lot of work in honduras and uh i'll go down to honduras and we will have driven some water and some uh drip irrigation and communal farming into communities and you go down there and they literally want to give you everything they have they'll come out with a bushel of oranges or tomatoes or whatever they've produced uh they're so grateful and so thankful and so happy because they've gone from a dollar a day to making, you know, $15 a day, or in this case of organic coffee, $50 a day as a family. And their kids now have a chance at an education. I mean, they, they couldn't be happier with that. So I don't want to say there's an inverse correlation between, uh, you know, that kind of success and, and, uh, and happiness, but, uh, I'm not, I don't think happiness is really dependent on that. So to me, everyone actually ought to have a life plan, you know, and you can use whatever construct you want. Faith, family, friends, fitness, finance is a pretty good one. And then just write 
three or four things under each of those, no more than that, that you can track and uh, happy to kind of share more of mine. But, but, uh, but uh, it's, it, it's actually applicable to everybody. And God has given the, the platform to the baggage handler just as he has to the CEO. So uh, think about how miserable life would be if your bags didn't get there when you did, right? You know, I mean, uh, that, that happens and it's no fun. Uh, but, uh, but they have a platform to serve God as well. Mother Teresa was a great example of that. I mean, she, her, her platform was in Calcutta in the orphanage. And uh, it's a true story. Uh, I never had a chance to meet her, but uh, uh, she she was about five foot tall, right? But her presence would just fill a room. And uh, true story, there was a guy like us that actually listened to her talk and was so moved by it, he actually sold his uh, possessions and moved to Calcutta to serve in the orphanage with her. And she was traveling when he got there. And he was there for, I don't know, four or five weeks and uh, working in this orphanage. And she came in one day to the room he, where he was, and I don't, he was uh, scrubbing some pots and pans, I think, or cleaning. And uh, uh, she said, son, what are you doing? And he said, well, and he told his story about hearing her speak and, you know, selling everything and coming over to work with her. And, and she said, son, you know, I know who you are, and I know you've been here for a few weeks. And uh, she said, son, you know, I've got some news for you. She said, son, you're terrible at this job, Right. She said, God, uh, you know, son, God called me to Calcutta to serve these orphans. She said, son, you need to find your Calcutta. And uh, and so I think it's just a great reminder that um, uh, we all have a, a role. And uh, if that roles as a baggage handler, uh, you know, God bless you. Do that to the honor and God use that as your medium to worship him and uh and if you're uh, if you're called to be a CEO, same same thing. Uh, you really are, a, you know, a, a prince in the kingdom of God. You know, regardless of your occupation, and it's it's really humbling when you think like two generations after we're gone, nobody will ever remember who we are. I I had this uh, this filming company come in and actually recently film my parents and do a video on my parents and had them tell their life story so we could capture it. But in doing that, you kind of realize their parents I knew, or my grandparents, my great-grandparents, I don't really have any idea what their story, their whole, st I know they were, but I don't have any idea what their story was. So, um, well, we have a limited amount of time here. We we really we really have one chance to actually uh, to honor God with that time. That's kind of, that's probably more, you know, bigger picture than, than, than you were wanting, but it's really true. I mean, if you put yourself in that perspective, uh, we're all serving God, whatever we're doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, you definitely have a different circle of influence. Do you guys ever talk about, I mean, is there a right away and all at once one page plan that maybe gets America back on track or, you know, is it a new president or maybe you guys, or maybe you think we're on the right track, but just interested <laughs> it would be hard to think we're on the right track but but uh, uh that would be a leap uh uh that probably i can't make um uh but uh, uh i think there are some definite things we can do you know we could do as a country to kind of turn you know turn the tide and turn it around uh it, it, it's hard for me to believe and i i don't want to get political so i'll, I'll just kind of you know say I, I can't you, you know when our 
country was set up, the minimum age to run for president was 35, right? And that exists to this day. You have to be 35 years old and a citizen to run for president. There was no maximum age. And I'm actually pretty sure that was because everybody died at, you know, I think the mortality <laughs> was in the 50s at that time, right? And, you know, when Social Security went in place in the 1930s, it was 61 for men and 64 for women was the... Uh, you know, was the average mortality. So Social Security actually kind of worked because on average, nobody lived to collect it, right? Uh, you know, now, now, we're all, you know, now we're all living to 80 some. And by the time our kids are there, they're going to live to be 100. So, you know, and, and uh, I've, you know, I've taught, I, I had a couple mentors, uh, Lloyd Benson, some of you'll remember him, Senator Benson and, and George W. Bush, 41, was, uh, was a mentor of mine for many, many years. Uh, I, I miss them both. But but uh, um, one Democrat, one Republican, and and they had solutions for all this, right? You index the retirement age, the mortality tables, and and uh, you know you basically for folks that you know make a lot of money, you you know it was supposed to be a safety net program, not a retirement program. So anyway, there's a lot of solutions to these things. Um, uh, you know, I wish we could get out of this. Uh, it looks like the election's setting up to be eighty two or three year old against a 77 or eight year old. And uh, God bless those guys, but that's a train wreck. Um, so, you know, hopefully, Someone hopefully as a country, we'll be able to, you know, kind of turn that around. So I do think there are solutions for this. I will say this about the United States. We are in fundamentally the best position of any country in the world which is, you know, in spite of all our flaws, and we have plenty, uh, if you look at our demographics and you look at our geography and you look at our natural resources um, and you compare that to China or, or Russia or Germany or literally anywhere else in the world, uh, we are so blessed to be in this country. It's crazy uh, just by the the sort of physical makeup of uh, what we have. There's there's some great Wall Street Journal articles now about both China and Russia and just their demographics, right? I mean, that you know, China had that one child policy for 30 years. They can't recover from that. <laughs> They're trying, but they can't. And Russia's population, probably 10, 15 years from now, is going to be a fifth smaller than it is today. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, there's the birth rate so low. It's... Uh, and and they don't have the physical you know advantages we have either and uh, and so as 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 screwed up as we get from time to time you know we still have every opportunity to kind of turn this thing around and yeah there we do talk about that some uh, it's a our political system's you know a little bit messed up I guess what did they say the best political system would be an oligopoly as long as it was benevolent. You know, and uh, uh, so we're we kind of uh, democracy is probably the best system out there, but it's far from perfect in terms of the way it gets executed, and certainly far from perfect now, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, Greg, you were talking about life integration, you know, weaving family work, even ministry. Uh, you know, there's concept business as ministry, you know, and you were kind of hinting and really. Uh, speaking to that, you know, any um, kind of war stories of where it went wrong and the pushback you got um, corporately or throughout the country or regionally? Just curious how you know, you've used your position to influence and do good, but the uh, resistance was, was strong. 
there's constant resistance out there. Um, um, you know, I, uh, I've, I've worked for and with people that, uh, have a kind of a moral character that is not at all aligned with, uh, you know, what you'd say, you know, is, uh, is Christian behavior or good moral behavior. And, uh, um, you know, sometimes they just don't like it when you're, you know, when you're trying to sort of stand for what's, uh, for what's right. And, um, um, so yeah, I know I've been through, been through a, a bunch of examples kind of like that. And, you know, you got to find your way to the other side. And, uh, what I've always tried to do is just stay consistent in my own belief structure. And, uh, the reality is people rally around integrity and, and, uh, ethics ultimately, but, uh, you can go through some times where you, you know, you take some pretty tough, uh, you take some pretty tough shots. Um, um, to me, those things, and you know, people would come after you and and, and things like that. I, they never really bothered me that much because um, I just I don't know. Maybe personality wise, I'm not a worrier, so I just kind of move on to the to the next uh, the next thing. And I always just tried to tried to stay consistent with like who I who I was in the process. But but uh, but yeah, you'll get. Uh, you, you know, if, if you're not aligning or hanging out, you know, in the, in the way people think you should, uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll attack. I always told my management teams, nothing good happens after nine to go. So go to your hotel room and call your spouse. And not everybody listened to that advice, believe it or not. So Greg, you mentioned having this one case or life plan. But my question is, can you give us an example of one of those things on that life plan and how that works out and how you hold yourself accountable in that plan and yeah. yeah absolutely so i did i did i've done two things the last couple of years so i have a one page life plan and I'll, I'll i'll give you an example of that you know uh i also did a one page plan for my business because i wanted to transition you know i run a private equity firm I wanted to transition from spending 90 plus percent of my time running that firm to maybe less than half of my time running that firm and letting some younger guys kind of take over and run it. So I said, if I'm going to do that, I have to write a one page plan for how I'm going to allocate my time in business as well. So uh, maybe just a couple examples of each of those. So on the life plan, I already told you the first quadrant I wrote was uh, a deep walk with God because come one of his intimates. And uh, that kind of includes things like a daily quiet time, a meeting weekly with what my, we call it the Pro our Proverbs 2717 group, um, allowing time to, uh, I allow a lot of time to meet with pastors who want to meet. They, they, pastors have it tough and they really had it tough during COVID. So I have a lot of, you know, large church pastors that come in and then uh purposed reading you know i read about something like probably 40 books a year and uh, just really not i used to read a lot of like john grisham and greg isles you know the murder mystery stuff and there's nothing wrong with that it's perfectly fine i gave all that up and i you know I, i'm very purposeful in my reading list now you know because i just, just limited time and then the second one for me was lasting Christian legacy to my family. So um, Rhonda and I started doing, my wife and I started doing a lot of ministry stuff together. And we do a lot of philanthropy together. Uh, so we do do this marriage summit every year. Uh, 
Uh, we sit on, uh, you know, some uh, charity boards together, or I might be on the board and she's, uh, and she comes along to, uh, to kind of all the meetings. And we've really dialed that in, you know, together, uh, try and spend time with my parents every year. My dad loves to play golf. So I was able to take him to Augusta national and we played twice in the par three and stayed in the cabins and it was fun. And then I took he and my boys and we went to, uh, uh, Pebble Beach, Spyglass, Spanish Bay. Um, and, uh, you know, my brothers will come up to Colorado this summer and we'll, uh, we'll all play golf for a few days with my dad, um, you know, uh, in, uh, in Colorado. I've got two little grandkids. They're four and a half and two and a half. So I spend a, they live about two minutes from us. So they basically live at our house half the time. Um, but I spend a lot of time with them. Uh, and that's a new thing for me. It's a lot of fun. My, in fact, my kids uh, tell me and my wife too, you were never like this with your kids, right? I'm totally different with my grandkids. I'm, uh, my grandpa name is, uh, Papa Dolce, uh, basically, um, they, they call me Papu D and, uh, that's, that's short for sugar daddy in Italian. So I'm in charge of all sugar. I got this whole stash of M&Ms and, I told my daughter-in-law, she said, man, you're giving them a lot of sugar. And I said, yeah, you can try and regulate that, but good luck. Um, but I said, you were never like this, but you, you were never like this with us. And I said, do you know why grandparents and grandkids get along so well? And uh, and uh, they said, no. I said, it's because I told them it's because they have a common enemy. Um, uh, so, uh, so, uh, so we have a lot of fun. I take them uh, just about every weekend. I'm, I'm in town. Uh it's about half the time we I take them to breakfast and, you know, we uh, we go to breakfast together. And uh, so anyway, it's all that it's that kind of uh, stuff. And then I try and spend a one on one weekend. I've done this for a year since the kids were little uh, with each of my kids, basically. So I have three kids. Uh, and then the third part for my go forward plan was fully uh, utilize my platform to mentor others. So we send out the books at Christmas time. Um, we, uh, I do a lot of mentoring, but more than anything, cause I'm pretty full up on how many people I can mentor. And a lot of it's with CEOs now that people will reach out for mentoring. And I now know a lot of folks. So we've had, uh, we've had about 120 couples go through this marriage summit we've done, plus a lot of other Christian folks. And, uh, so I'll actually match people with mentors if they, uh, you know, if they need, need one, I'll try and, and do that since I, you know, I, I'm kind of, uh, pretty booked up. And then basically the last part is leave a lasting stewardship legacy, think money out, not money in. So, uh, you know, goal being to, um, um, you know, give, give the money away. And, uh, so we got, we do charity, charitable giving as a family. We support 22 charities and my kids sit on the boards of some of them. And we do that every year as a family. And, uh, and that's, uh, I told, told the kids a long time ago, we can spend our money on three things. We can spend it on ourselves. We can give it back to the kingdom or we can give it to you. And we only care about two of the three. So get a job, but we, uh, we do let them, uh, we do let them, uh, help us give it away. So, uh, so that's, uh, uh, that's that. And then on the on the business side, this may be a longer answer than you want. I actually put together this one page business plan for my business I've, I've had since uh, uh, 1994 called Turnworks. And uh, I said kind of business platform. That's the private equity firm. Uh, you know, I uh, I serve in uh, Home Depot and, and Baylor College of Medicine, where I lead the board and Baker Hughes, where I'm on the board and a few other things. 
But I said, I really want to back down the time I'm spending on that from 90% to 50% to ultimately about 25 or 30%. So I'm in the process. Uh, I'm 2023. I'm down to 50%. I named two guys, younger guys, co-managing partners of the private equity firm. And I call, I stayed as chairman, but I called all our investors and I told them, you can call me and get me anytime, but you're never going to, uh, you're never going to see me in your office again. Um, you know, you need to rely on these guys. And so by actually just getting out of the investor relations piece of it and handing it off to younger guys, I actually cut about 40 hours a week out of my time uh, that I was spending on that. So just reallocating time. And then we have a family office. My son's working with me in the family office where we're investing. And that's a lot of fun with him. I have a category. My third category is called goofing off or fun. So we opened a restaurant a year ago. It's an Italian restaurant. If you come here, I'll buy you dinner um, uh, in the Woodlands, Texas, which we're having fun with. Uh, um, you know, I, I uh, bought it. We bought a villa at the Four Seasons in Costa Rica. We're redoing, and you know that's kind of fun. Building an eco lodge in New Zealand. I have an airplane. I charter out. Anyway, I've got all these like goofy things I like to do just because I enjoy them. And then the last category is philanthropy. So it's really, you know, diving in and spending time giving money back to, to others. And I'm just trying to take, you know, some of the time. I've got my business time down to about half of my time. And I'm trying to reallocate across family office fund and philanthropy. But uh, I find if I don't write this stuff down and do it, and I think we're all the same way, that's what I'd encourage you to do. Whether it's kind of the life stuff or, you know, how do I allocate my time based on that to my activities? Uh, it doesn't happen, you know, it just, for me, just weeks went by, months went by, years went by, a couple decades went by, and, uh, you know, I felt like I was satisfactorily underperforming. So that's how I hold myself accountable. I, you know, I write it down, I, every year I update it, and I track myself to it. So, and then I share it with my three guys I meet with, the three CEOs, and they hold me accountable to it as well. We talk to them. Perfect.